0: Welcome to the Women in the CEO Community Forum session today. We're talking about how to attract, retain, promote staff in an industry that is restructuring forever restructuring, adapting to changes post pandemic outsourcing and offshoring. So how do we attract and keep our people on board successfully, give them opportunities for growth? all of that very topical, and we will quickly delve into the detail. For those of you who do not know me, I am Gwen Wilcox. I'm the Global Lead for the Women in the CEO Community here in Armstrong Wharf. Um, What do we do at Armstrong Wharf? For the ones who are not quite too familiar, most of you are, but uh, we're fully committed to raise the profile of the Chief Operating Officers and committed to promoting equality in the workplace, raise opportunities for growth for all managers and leaders, and support an inclusive and flexible culture where everyone can realize their full potential and make a positive contribution to their organization. So these Women in the CEO community sessions exist because we are here to build a network, a venue, a community for everyone who is really interested in making a difference, creating change, looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion as the bedrock of all conversations, obviously for addressing common challenges, also addressing the successes that you're having with regards to talent attraction and retention and work with we work with so many organizations on addressing workforce diversity and inclusiveness that often require big cultural shifts so we'll talk about that in a moment thank you very much for making the time out of your day today i know it's a bit of a long session you'll feel free to to drop out if you obviously have other commitments I'd love for you to be present. I would love for you to put your videos on. I would love for you to have an interactive session and speak up and uh, add your comments on the chat, ask questions. This is for you. Um, I totally understand that you might be multitasking at the same time, but uh, I truly believe that the people that you're going to hear today from are going to be giving you a tremendous amount of food for thought. So by all means, do get involved as much as you can. So, i i think everyone is pretty much on mute but please unmute yourself um look at whether you can put yourself on the chat i'm actually going to say there's a a welcome um message here but um if you are able to put yourself on the chat it would be great if you could just see tell, tell us who you are and uh where you come from and maybe your position so we um everyone knows who is on the call as well because only us um, panelists actually understand who is who we are talking to so you're more than welcome to use the chat anyway so um, it, i think it would be an understatement to say that the pandemic disrupted the workplace um, talent shortages and the rise of digital capabilities are highlighting the importance of culture and leadership for talent retention and attraction and today we are joined by leaders who manage these challenges in addition in addition to their day jobs Welcome to Andres, Andres Oranges, CEO of Finance for Society General, Catherine Woodrow, CEO of Markets and Mia for Wells, Wells Fargo, Maggie Wrenz, who is actually not called Maggie, but if, um, if you are able to uh, see her on your screen, she is US Jax. So I quite like that name actually, Maggie. Um, So Maggie Renz is Chief of Staff Finance in the US and Peter Zorn, uh, who recently left IBM, but is uh, joining us in this capacity of industry advisor in the enterprise workforce transformation. What a panel. I'm also joined by uh, our two managing partners at Armstrong Wolf Advisory, and that is uh, Wade Younger and Piers Murray. If you want to give us a wave, this is where you are. So, let's find out a little bit more about you guys maybe i'll start with you catherine let's start with you tell us a little bit about you where you are where you come from and why you are here today
1: yeah thanks Gwen. um as you described i'm the c o o of the markets business in amir for wells fargo i joined wells fargo um back in march this year so relatively new joiner to the firm Prior to that, I had a similar role at Bank of New York Mellon. And before that, many, many years spent at Deutsche Bank in a variety of business management, COO and other types of roles. Um, So looking forward to this panel session today, obviously it's an important topic. It's something that I and others spend a huge amount of time and effort on ensuring that we have the right talent and team. Supporting our businesses. Um, So, you know, it's good to spend some time reflecting on it and speaking to others about uh, different approaches and viewpoints on this topic. Thank you,
2: Catherine. Peter, over to
3: you. Uh, Hello, everyone. So my name is Peter Zorn. I was with IBM until two days ago. So I'm celebrating a, a, a brief moment of freedom. And at IBM, I was most recently, um, I I built and was running a a relatively new practice called Talent and Transformation. So, um, really looking at uh, enterprise workforce reinvention, um, obviously, partnering very closely with um, CHROs or Chief People Officers, but recognizing the fact that when the board comes out with their strategies, how important it is for every leader and every individual in an organization to feel that they are a part of what the vision is, what's their role to play, um, and how they can be most effective. And um, I was with IBM for seven years. I uh, practice with them in Asia, and I um, started with them in a cloud practice in London. So, um, seven years, three divisions, three continents. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in terms of my own attraction and retention within IBM. Um, And previous to that, I was for 10 years with Deutsche Bank in a variety of roles, uh, front, middle and back office. And then I sort of gone between professional services and banking in-house and then go to professional services and back again. So most likely, uh, hopefully going to end up, but we just don't know where yet. And I've been very privileged to, through my career, um, as Pierce and I were talking earlier, I've, I've um, been able to live and work in 14 countries um, around the world. So everywhere from the US to Australia uh, and lots of places in between. So I look forward to this you know, really important discussion today because it's not just, um, it's not even just enterprises that you know, you're all struggling with this, but governments you know, at the national level, it's how are we going to um, upskill, reskill, and and make all of our people valuable to contribute to society as well as to our organisations. Thank you, Peter. That's it.
0: For- I will um, pass the mic to Maggie U.S. Jax. Maggie.
4: Hi. Hello, everyone. U.S. Jax. So I started with Deutsche Bank about 15 years ago, but I wasn't always a COO. I actually started in a more traditional finance function. And it was focused on the FX and FX trading business. Prior to that, I did stints in Lehman Brothers and JPMorgan Chase, classic New York financial industry, hopping around different jobs, different banks over the time. Uh, But at a wonderful point in time in my Deutsche Bank career, I was looking to do something different and discovered COO, which to my shame, I didn't really understand the function of at the time, so I'm actually very pleased to be able to address an audience in which I don't have to explain what a COO or a chief of staff does, and I look forward to talking more in depth about some of these you know, very relevant, very challenging topics. One of the things I have always said to people when they ask, why did I switch from a traditional role into, into COO, and I always tell them, numbers are easy, but people are hard, right? So I can work a spreadsheet all day, but when you have to work through cultural challenges, I think that's where you're really digging into some
5: complex skills. So I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
4: Indeed. And Andres.
5: Hi, everyone. <clears throat> good morning. Good afternoon. So I'm Andres Sirajas. <clears throat> Apologies for my voice. Um, I'm, I'm struggling with the flu, so <clears throat> I will be in and out a bit. Um, so I'm the uh, uh, COO, Chief Operating Officer for uh, Society General for the Finance Division, um it is a, a very new role uh, for Société Générale to have a CEO within finance uh, we can get more into that later or not um as as you wish um uh, i'm also uh, newly appointed as the COO for Latam so i'm playing a dual headed role right now um so i've been at Societe for 4 years um you know part of the uh, liquidity team originally <clears throat> doing some uh, project management and business management Spent a lot of my time at, uh, at Deutsche Bank uh, on the risk side, jumping between uh, you know more traditional uh, second line of defense type of roles, credit, liquidity, etc. Um, and then I spent really most of my career, you uh, know, just like a lot of lot of us, right, um, in, in more I'm going to say traditional finance, New York roles, right, J.P. Morgan, uh, F.P.N.A., um, you know, C.O., uh, C.I.O., uh, Treasury, um, trading commodities, etc. So um, again, uh, a very very fun adventure. Um, it's been a it's been a great ride um and you know i'm looking looking forward to having more discussions more in-depth discussions and and hearing uh, not just our panelists thoughts but but also all your thoughts right on on what's working and and what's not um because i think uh, at the end of the day right we we all share those those similarities whether it's regionally um uh or you know uh within the within the same industry
0: yeah, you're right, actually, Andres, it's what's working and what's not. I think we're all doing lots of things and it's great to share. So if I start by asking your
2: views on the state of the talent market today, what would the panel say? Would you like to share um, a few of your it's talent brutal. acquisition strategy or how do you, how, what do you see? What do you see working, not
0: working? Where do we go find talent?
5: Digging deep, Gwen. Digging deep.
0: A <clears throat> star high.
5: Digging deep, <clears throat> and uh, you know, pulling out all the. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's no, it's no mystery, right? It, it's as we all know, right? It, it's it's, you know, from a recruiting perspective, right? Any any corporate that you talk to, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Um, nowadays, especially, um, you know, talent is is moving around a ton, right? You know, the the great migration, right? Um, to 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 point that phrase that's been used a lot. Um, you know, everyone wants to to move around and, and either do something different <clears throat> because of the pandemic, right? Uh, because they want to work remotely fully, want to have a hybrid work style, or simply they want to make more money, right? Um, and, and and do something different with their, you know, uh, with their life, right? Not work in finance anymore, go on the tech space or go from the tech space to the finance space, right? Go into something totally different. Um, you know, so, <clears throat> what's working what's not you know in, in recruiting really is is it's just digging deep right into into the networks right um being more creative right with you know established roles um you know if we had you know for example <clears throat> 10 qualities or responsibilities, right, uh, that we look in in a specific candidate for a specific reporting role, for example. Um, You know, instead of having to check off all those 10 boxes, um, you know, now we're saying, okay, if if we can maybe have two of those three boxes checked out uh, for that specialist, we can train them, you know, for for all those others, right? So it's being creative, not just on um, what they're able to do, but also on their experience level as well. Um, and thinking you know, uh, more futuristically, right, where those candidates could be placed into the organization after two or three years, um, because I'm, I'm sure we'll get there too. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit less about, um, you know, being able to complete the role as it is today, but also about the candidates um, and future employees, you know, where we can, um, you know, most utilize them and where they could be happy as well, so they don't get bored, um, so they can do different things. Um, and I'll pause there because I could say a lot about it as well.
3: And if I Thank could just add mm-hmm. to that, um, I totally agree with what Andres is saying around, you know, when we when when we're looking for talent, um, sometimes it's not about trying to you know, tick all the ten boxes. It's like, okay, okay, let's look at what's important, and then how are we going to coach and develop them. But the thing that I think is um, is really. Uh, it's a key gap in, in every organization today is around, I, I call it the invisibility of skills because every, every one of us, we have a tremendous um, uh, capability, number of skills, areas of interests and passions that are not known within our organization. So whether it, it could be what you studied, uh, Earlier on in life, it could be what you're studying now. It could be, you know, your online learning platforms at work. It could be the passions you have for volunteering outside. Um, It could be totally different roles from what you do today. There's a real gap in our organizations in terms of what skills do we have. And when somebody says to me, oh, I need more, I need, you know, I need more data scientists and. to probably do that but let's discuss what you have today and so often people say well actually I, I don't really know or you might if you're in a good position relatively you might know within say your CIO tower but you know anybody who's coming into an organization today you could have somebody who's sitting in a branch who's 24 years old who develops apps on the weekend because they're that kind of a geek or developing their own programming language or whatever but it's invisible because of the way we are siloed as organisations. So there's a real opportunity for us to look at the enterprise level of what skills do we have, what skills do we need, and then how do we close those gaps? And then through that, can also promote internal mobility as well.
0: Maggie and Catherine, over to you. Really, with the state of the talent market today, how do you see it?
1: Well, so, I would agree with what. Go ahead. Okay, I would agree. You know, it's tough. It's it's not as if you can just come up with a job spec, post a role and expect to find a number of candidates that fit that spec and you can choose the best of the, the bunch, right? It's the only way I am finding that we can hire Wells Fargo is using our networks and, you know, not just your own network, but networks of those that work with you and people, you know, because it's the most targeted way of finding the right skill sets and the right attitudes and aptitudes of the people that you need. Um, it's it's very hard if you just go out and fish in the open market um, to see who applies to a role. Um, Personally, I would say it's it's easier. I find it's easier at the more senior levels. The the really challenging area is the more junior roles. Um, And, you know, whether that's onshore or offshore, um, incredibly hard to find the right talent with a bit of experience, but those that you want to bring on and uh, develop.
4: I was going to say, I, I really, I always refer to it as the war for talent because I do feel when I go into things like a career fair or a graduate recruitment session and you see some of your peer companies around the different tables, it's, it's a bit of a dog fight. So it's been to me an unprecedented scenario in which it's been so difficult to source even the most basic of, of resumes, you know, Catherine to your point you, the the traditional or the, I would say the most recent uh, methodology of just posting things to LinkedIn it, it's resu- it's resulting in nothing right so we have to get creative and, and one of the things that I'm a big proponent of is if we're looking to increase our diversity if we're looking to get that junior talent that does seem elusive in the current marketplace we really need to shift our approach in how we're sourcing them and and I'm trying to help us focus on things like, going back to campuses and i know people have pulled out of that in the past it's hard sometimes to quantify the benefits there but getting our campus presence rebuilt after especially after covid we've lost some branding power there and getting in front of the students i find that that entry-level marketplace they're very hungry but they don't know how to make the shift from their academic life to professional life and to the extent that we as the professionals can help them bridge that gap, we really only add the benefits to ourselves. And then when we're talking about diversity, I, I find it surprising that we're not deeper in with some you know, culturally specific or ethnically specific industry conference groups. So for example, I, I participate in Alpha, which is an American Association for Latino Professionals. They had a conference with 3,000 Latino job seekers. And it's interesting to see The companies that are there and and those that are not and i think it's really a mindset shift for recruitment that it's no longer a sit back and post in linkedin we have to get aggressive it is a war for talent and we have to enter that battlefield you know with every weapon that we have so that's kind of how i view it
6: i have a question to your point do you find that the translation from academia over into the working field is more of a challenge for this coming generation
4: Actually not, well, if you mean from their mindset of I'm doing a homework assignment to now I'm actually doing a production role, I've seen them, when well, we've got a great grad class right now, they're so adept and flexible. I find them much more flexible in being able to shift into that mindset. The difficulty is helping them find those roles. When I go to some of these career fairs, these are tremendous resumes. My God, if I was their age with my resume at that time, I would be hired by nobody. These kids, I call them kids, these students are so skilled and so versatile, but they don't know how to get their foot in the door. So I think that's our challenge, giving them that bridge to come in. And once they're in, I just, I see them shine and really want to advance.
5: Yeah, and if I can maybe add to that too, right? I was at the Maggie. I was at the Alpha Conference too, so I'm I'm, I'm not surprised, but surprised we didn't see each other. There's so many people there. Um, so one thing I found, and I, and I teach a lot of undergrads, and and I do a lot of mentorship with with undergrads and graduate students as well. But what I also find um, for this generation specifically um, is, you know, their uh, their benchmark, right, for for what's acceptable to to go into as their first job, right? Um, when they, when they say, oh, I want to go into banking, I want to go into finance great right what do you want to do uh um i want to be an equities trader okay that's wonderful um so does you know half the population right uh so let's it's great to to, to shoot shoot for the stars right um, but as i tell all of them um you know let's let's kind of uh think about plan b c d and e right um what else do you want to do right and put the money aside um you know what interests you right and when i say what interests you they kind of start thinking and looking at me like i'm like i'm crazy right <clears throat> and i'm like well what do you like what do you enjoy right um and from there then we can have a conversation on what you know what roles there are in finance what roles there are in banking right because there are a lot of different roles and as we start to get into the weeds on them then you see their minds open up a little bit you know to your point maggie right um where they're like oh wow i didn't even know that that was a thing in the bank mm-hmm right um so it is quite interesting to to see and i have seen that shift i would say in the past 10 years at least um with a lot of students i'm
1: going to just that. about it's not just about you know who knows which roles there are and and where they want to uh, spend their focus and energy on applying for jobs i think even those junior talent who are in the finance industry have a better idea of the different roles and functions within a typical bank, for example. It's very hard for certain, to attract people to certain roles, um, controls roles, change roles, you know, that where you need people with business, product, knowledge and expertise. You can't just have generalists. Um, you know, they're the areas I find particularly hard to to find willing candidates for. That have the even half the level of skill sets that we would ideally like to have to place in that seat
7: but if I could just add um, I, I thought Peter's statement Peasley's statement about um, the invisible skill was a was a very powerful reminder to us we we have people in the door and if we uh, if our firms and and not committed to making those people available for, for transitions, sort of checking how much time they've been in a role in order to ensure that movement happens. I'm used to thinking of people being in roles for two to three years um, and then often wanting to switch to learn. But the tool set that I had, so sort of my, my experience growing up in In the workforce at JP and as a manager was sitting around the table at year end evaluations and being forced to present other people's teams for evaluation and the purpose of that exercise was to get to know the skill set around the table um, that was in a much smaller j p morgan than than exists today, but it was an incredibly powerful learning tool and, I, and i'm absolutely positive that it helped uh, my career. Um, being it getting me to move globally but I know that it also exposed me to people that I could bring into my team it exposed people in my my ability to think about other roles for other, for people in my team if they expressed an interest in switching and I think when you become as interested in or potentially more interested in ensuring that your people, the people who are working for you at that point in time, have the opportunity internally, that that's as important to you as your own career. I think that really translates to the people around the table, uh, that your team, that you're interested in, in them. But in order to get to transparency, you do need to have the tool set that highlights what skills are available and visible. And so I think Peter's comment about invisibility of skills, really important one for us to focus on and to get you know, whether it's HR functions or our own management teams, um, to, uh, to bring that up as a, as a challenge.
3: Mm. I would just add to that because we were talking before about, you know, getting, finding grads to come in. Um, and, and I, I argue a lot that we have so much talent sitting in our organizations already. And, you know, nowadays it's, you know, it's, it's, It's very popular now to kind of do a zigzag career. Like just because you work in IT doesn't mean you have to be in IT forever or in finance or in operations or whatever. To me, the important thing is to tap into the aspirations that the individuals have. And it all has to be – I always use the phrase AI-powered, data-driven, human-centric – because no manager has the bandwidth or the capability to sit there with, if average people have you know, eight to ten direct reports, forget all everybody else within your world, but you, you can't sit there and manage everyone's career. They have to do that themselves. You have to be there to listen. You're there to, to guide and offer advice. But we have to have those enabling tools. That will create that visibility and that transparency over what are the thousand roles that exist in our bank today, or in our oil company, or in our telecom company, or whatever. But what are those roles? What are the skill levels that are required? And then what's the gap for me personally? How do I know how to take control? And this, I think, is another one of those sort of untapped resources we talk about oh we need to go now in, if we're in a bank you go go to the consulting firms go to the IT firms go to various areas no go within your own firm let's start there and look at what we can do to better utilize the resources and the aspirations of the people we already have and how inspiring and motivating is that for individuals when they are listened to like that and given those sorts of opportunities
0: it's also being aware of the tools, isn't it? And I think it, just think for, for which, I believe, falls part of the, under the Career Mobility Programme. And I don't know if any of you have a Career Mobility Programme, so to speak, where you have the opportunities to tell employees they have options for moving into new, interesting, or maybe higher-paying roles in time, Shows uh, maybe showing as well job prospects that you have, um, and ensuring that, basically, you care
1: do you have these tools? Do you have these? So, so we uh, do at Wells Fargo we have you know a lot of very dedicated talent sessions um lots of discussion about key talent and how we might uh mobilize them into either permanent or temporary positions to enhance their skill sets and further their careers so there is that level of focus on people and it can work really well. One of the key challenges is though, when you're looking internally, is being able to free those people up internally. It's it's much easier to go and buy someone off the street and create that gap at a competitor than it is to create the gap internally sometimes. And I think when you talk about toolkits, that's where firms have to work harder as to how to ensure that there is that constant backfill and movement so we're not creating problems in one area just by taking talent out
6: Catherine is that more for hire for attitude train for skill um what acumen are you looking for for internal growth
1: for all types of talent um that we're looking to enhance so you know what's good about it is the fact that there is the focus People take time away from the day job to focus on names, to talk about specifics, to consider who should be on that list and who should be focused on. So there's a lot there is that level of focus and it's formalized. We work with HR on it. Um, it, You know, it's just the enablement of that movement, which is the challenge.
5: Thank you. So 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 here at SOC general we have we have similar programs right um i'm not in h r but but i can speak to uh at least three that come to the top of mind right um you know either lead to achieve or high potentials right and and you know i, I think we're uh, i'm gonna say it um a little bit at an ed- advantage right um here in the u s especially um because we are a, a smaller organization right balance sheet wise but but also you know person wise so um we have the advantage and the opportunity to to know. Um, all of our employees pretty well, right? And I say we, I mean we collectively, right? Me in my role uh, as COO for finance, right? I, I know all the, you know, 106 we have in the U.S., right? The <clears throat> 58 we have in Canada, right? I, I know them personally, but also know their their strengths and we weaknesses. And so does my boss, who's the CFO. Um, but at the same time, right? So so does so does our HR partners, right? Um, and and other folks in and in, in part of the other organization. So you know, for us, it's and it, it's it's an art right it really is an art it's not a science um uh but you know it's it's putting the the pieces together right of saying you know this person is is a high potential right uh they're only an associates right uh, but but we're going to train them into this program uh give them uh special attention special training right technical training non-technical training uh, and the likes um, you know, but it, but I do agree with Catherine that it becomes uh, not a problem, but it but it becomes a, a a question, right? In thought, you know, as we continue to develop them and move them around the organization as they climb that corporate ladder, um, it's about you know filling filling all their talents, right? Um, behind them, right? Because they are you know high performing employees, right? Purposely, right? So they are doing a lot. Um, so the the inevitable question always is, is okay, great. So we move you know Catherine to this other organization. Um, <clears throat> give her this promotion, but you know what do we do with all the work that she's already doing, right? Um, and you know sometimes we have a, a an easy solution to it because we have another high potential or or other junior employee from that division or another division that we could fit in there. But uh, again, it, it's an art, right? So so we don't always have the the exact pieces that we need to fit in. But that's where getting creative, right? And and understanding, you know, to to Pete's point before, right? Understanding from an enterprise perspective, are um, you know. Known and unknown talent um, is crucial, right? And I'll be the first to say it, you know, we, as much as we know all of our employees, we also don't know uh, a lot of them that are, you know, maybe more reserved um, or have these hidden talents, right? You know, coding talents and, you know, on the weekends or, or whatever the case may be, right? Um, we don't know it all, right? We can't can't pretend to all know it all. Um, so, so that is a, an interesting aspect of it.
0: And this is really interesting because you mentioned a couple of time uh, a, couple of, a couple of things that I have picked up on around communication. And I think as leaders, you've got to ask the right questions. And sometimes we just probably just stick to what we know. And we as leaders have to develop far many more uh, communication skills to get to the bottom of who actually is working for us. Because sometimes people don't really come across as wanting to tell you. But if you ask them, they'll tell you. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's really valuable to have these sessions with your staff where you actually find out a little bit more about them as well. So you might actually be quite quite surprised as well. Um, I just wanted to have um, just a moment on the chat. I have a We have a question here. Interested to know, this is probably related to you, Catherine. Interested to know how you balance the move towards blind hiring versus using your network struggle a little bit in their organization so wanted to know
1: whether you had any um, yeah I mean you know I I, I'm interpreting here blind hiring being just that posting a job on LinkedIn or through recruitment agencies um
8: we kind of people come through they answer questions and then we don't look at CVs and names their numbers and then they kind of do case studies and things and it's just trying to avoid the the bias and that kind of move towards that and so uh, you know it would be that the old days of like oh this person's great in the network we then have to put them a- into a process now which slows you down and therefore you know in this kind of market it's really difficult and I just um was interested if anybody was having to deal with that.
1: I see what you mean you mean like anonymized CVs yeah, coming through yeah. yeah um yeah I mean ju- just through going down that approach and getting those cvs there's very many positives and, and not having any of your biases influence your decision making but i think so many cvs get filtered out before they even reach the likes of us you know our, our hr recruitment teams filter many many out once you see those cvs um you know it I would estimate that probably of every ten I see, one one's worthy of interview for most cases. So, you know, it's still you're still re- struggling really hard to find specific skills, um, despite the fact that it probably does mean that you're being less biased and more inclusive with the opportunities of who you're opening up to. Um, you know, if we go through the targeted approach and using networks that you have to still be very very conscious of the diversity of the candidate slate that you're ultimately identifying and I would in most cases you, you know say that we're always identifying a number of candidates through the network rather than just one and we we then put them through a, a formalized Interview process um, with others that maybe don't have those connections with the, the people directly. So you know, I think you have to just consciously ensure that you might use a network to identify talent, but you've got to make sure there's a fair playing field with those that are coming in through the blind recruitment process.
5: Rachel, I'm, I'm a little curious though. When you say when you say blind and and bias, are you referring to the the job? spec or are you referring to you know d and i you know or uh you know someone like me right type of bias uh where they've come from the same institution or the same background um or or otherwise or are you really referring to uh you know qualifications technical and otherwise
8: I mean, I think it's a bit of everything. It's trying to avoid kind of all kind of bias, but, um, you know, we're doing a finance manager hire at the moment and we're trying to get them to do a case study before actually speaking to them. Whereas most other people speak and then do a case study um, and we're, you know, we are losing kind of people. So having to change the process because everything moves so quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, all our kind of associates here. We've, we've done it through, you know, the application process where you kind of don't look at, at the CV until, you know, the, the real late stages. So it's more on competency rather than you sort of looking at that CV
5: yeah and I think you know i'm
8: in v c so it's slightly different, of course, but I do think that it's there's a big big push for it to move towards that way, but the actual reality of it is quite difficult.
5: Yeah, and I agree. And I, I've seen on the street, at least here in New York, right, that, you know, some some institutions, and I'll name one, uh, you know, Capital One, right, is is notorious, not in a negative light, but just notorious, right, for for doing a screening before even the even the resume collection, right, on case studies or whatever the job may be. Um, and, you know, I've heard from from colleagues that, you know, they're starting to move away from that because the rapid form of hiring uh, has been happening. They feel a little bit at a disadvantage. So I think it's just about a balance, right? And I think being in the VC world, it's probably a little bit different as well um no it's interesting thanks for sharing
0: and we had a comment in the chat as well for the ones who cannot see um, with uh, new ai recruitment laws in 2023 i suspect there will be
2: turn in how others recruit any thoughts on that wade you are an ai guy you know your stuff What do you think about this recruitment, these new recruitment laws in 2023?
0: Just predominantly about sharing information about salaries and being a little bit more open about what exactly you're looking for.
6: Yeah, so I was on mute there. Sorry. So, uh, yeah, so what I find um, in the RPA space um, when it comes to digital banking, digital transformation, especially in in the banking space, that... There is a need to continue to assemble teams with AI. We know that it's been happening for a few years. But as far as when it comes to recruitment, um, when it comes to finding the appropriate uh, and the right fit for your particular team and culture, um, the trans- piece, of, piece of transparency, it's a mixed bag. And uh, We look at Facebook and their approach to having uh, more information than needed just for just having an ac- Oculus headset. A lot of people have moved away to maybe a pico headset which is a comparable tool uh because they don't want to share that information on the other hand there are those who don't mind you know sharing um their personals or their um information because they believe in encryption they believe in the security that um that's available for the individuals that are coming into your organization so to be honest with you i've seen not necessarily a 50 50 but definitely a mixed bag that you have to be cognizant about when it comes to recruitment.
0: Okay, so I'm going to um, switch slightly towards um, the topic of culture and purpose. <clears throat> so more and more now we hear about um, that comp, uh, <clears throat> sorry, we hear about, <clears throat> sorry, we hear about comp <clears throat> being a driver, of course, we hear about job satisfaction being a driver, but actually more and more now, do we look at um, other opportunities for growth? It could be sideways, upwards. Um, it depends really for, for people. <clears throat> Everyone is very different, but the culture and the purpose of your organizations is obviously extremely important for hiring and promoting your team, your new new members of the team and your current team, particularly in this industry and hopefully in the CEO space. Now, when it comes to culture and purpose and and looking at opportunities outside of the comp. Um, business so do we see anything here that is very much a um a prominent topic do we want to do we want to address this purpose and culture
2: environment more than ever before Do are we required to Do are we asked to what do you see
4: I would say absolutely especially if we are talking about some of the the younger workforce coming in, they absolutely need to know what is the what is our purpose as a bank and I find even more than ever they 're actively engaged in in a lot of our, our corporate social responsibility which is volunteering and getting engaged in the community so Not only do they want to understand what their function is within the bank, which I think is pretty fundamental, they want to understand what the bank's purpose is in the general sort of macro environment. How are we propelling sort of the the human race, so to speak? Are Are we conscientious of how we're hiring and diversity and human rights and are we investing in the right areas and you know we see a lot about esg so it's absolutely critical that we're talking about our culture and our purpose and and putting it in the in the the right tone and i would say the leaders for this really is our management layer we talked before about communication and a little bit about how do we attract talent but now we're we're moving into how do we retain this talent right in the culture and the purpose it really is about ensuring that our managers the on the ground management level is skilled enough to have these types of conversations with this new generation that is actively asking about these types of things and i think that's an area for, of opportunity for most of us on this call is making sure that our managers have that skill set to have these conversations that they're very crystal clear on our culture on our purpose and they can describe it to uh, their staff and, and move that forward and interestingly enough when I look at some of my teams that were utterly decimated in the in the great resignation versus those that were not I mean I think many of us can probably say the same thing the main difference was the manager and it's always been said you don't leave a job you leave a manager we have exceptions where people were moving for money but where money was not the main driver management was right and making sure that the manager was fully engaged. I think one of the earlier comments was around making sure we understand the invisible skill set if your manager is fully trained up on how to function as a manager in this new environment. So, I mean, not how do I teach them process A and process B, but how do I engage my staff, know my staff, their skill sets, their wants, how they want to progress, and share with them how we can get them there. We really have to upscale our management level to promote the retention component of our staff.
5: Completely right. I think to add to that, right? It's it's um, it goes even a little bit deeper, you know, in my view, right? It's yes, the management and the, the the direct management, but it goes all the way through the the top echelons of of the organizations that we work for, right? Um, if it's not clear right on on the mission uh, and not just as a mission as a catchphrase but the true mission right the value proposition of the organization um, then it's not going to be clear to 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 the layers underneath right and if it's not clear to the layers underneath the direct managers it sure as heck is not going to be clear to to the juniors right or even senior professionals it doesn't matter on what their purpose is right um, and you know I think you you touched on ESG right and and for me in, in my life and just sg right esg is is you know top focus of everything we're doing right now um, embedding it into our everyday lives right and and it's been you know a part of our internal communication strategy uh not just locally but globally right on on why esg why it matters um and what we're doing as an organization to 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 make an improvement right um you know in in the world right and i think that you know, I can say, um, you know, without a doubt, right, for for students, um junior professionals, and even senior professionals alike, right? it It touches a point one way or another um, on making them excited. Uh, to have a purpose right to come into the office, and I think it kind of goes full circle on you know working hybrid and and coming into the office, which um I don't know if we 're going to touch on that later, but um you know it gives them a purpose and it gives them a, a new you know new new point in being right uh to come in and and be excited about what they 're doing and how they 're doing it um you know even if it 's not you know being on the desk right um it could be in in back office type of roles or otherwise, they still feel for the most part, you know, a sense of purpose and belonging, um, you know, be able to, to to help out the, the greater good of the world.
0: And um, prior to this call, um, I had a, a few conversations with a few of you on the call and I just wanted to bring in Agatha, if you are uh, willing to share your questions. We were talking about non-financial rewards. So in addition to culture, purpose, comp, job spec, job satisfaction and that, all that, there's also the topic of non-financial rewards. So what else can we do to attract that, to retain our people and communicate to to new to our new colleagues that this is the way it's done here? So Agatha, do you have a question around non-financial rewards? Well, good yeah, good afternoon, Gwen. Thank you. Thank you for pulling me in. Really appreciate
4: it. And I think you've you've teed up the the question or the comment uh just just perfectly. It's uh you know, very curious for the for the panel's thoughts on on what you might be doing in the areas of non uh, non financial uh, non financial recognition. And I think, you know, some of the themes have already been hit on, right? So, um, you know, enrichment opportunities, stretch opportunities, growth opportunities, and uh, and whether those are um, sort of the you know the the prime angles. Uh, what else What else is happening in 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 the space as you know as as you see it related to uh, related to non financial
2: recognition?
9: I may chime in on my side, so uh, work at RBC. Um, in addition to to some of the reward that we talked about around, like uh, I, I, we really sense that people want to learn, want to feel that there is a progression. Uh, so it could be outside of title, expansion of role, learning and even skills that they don't use on their day-to-day job and don't even think they're going to use in their next step, but they just want to are hungry for knowledge and, and feeling a progression, any type of progression. The other thing that we do that seems to be resonating quite well, especially in the younger talent, is some awards. We give a lot of performance awards. Some of them are attached to some type of compensation, but even just the recognition, official recognition, uh, and a congratulation from senior leaders uh, goes a long way. Uh, For some of them, we offer a cruise. (laughs) Uh, so we uh, we do with uh, same senior leadership that just go for one week and uh, and have some session while they're on the boat. It's half um, pleasure, half work relationship, and so that seems to be resonating quite well. So with
1: our people. Thank no, I you for so You're nice. touching on there. I I agree. You know, like, I think a lot can be said for sponsorship and opportunity. If your team feel that they've got. A manager that supports them, sponsors them and is always on the lookout and supportive of the next opportunity. That goes a long way. In addition to to the financial reward, both, you know, both in terms of uh, go back to what I said before, network and attraction. If you want to bring new talent into the firm, if they have contacts in the firm, they understand how those already in the firm feel about their roles and and how positive they can relay a message. It you know it can really help attract, but definitely in terms of retain. Once you have a team that feel valued and can see can see a path forward.
10: Yeah, and it's um, Faye Webb from Wells Fargo, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because Catherine's on so i've worked in the industry for over 30 years now and i can honestly say that working for wells fargo has been a breath of fresh air um in um moving internally um they do good um networking etc so if you're good at your role they won't hold you back they'd rather retain you internally than lose you externally so i've actually moved from compliance to operations since being here for five, seven years. Um, so it is very much if you do a job well here, you do get recognised. And I think that might be because we're a bit smaller in region at the moment. But it does come across that people care managers have got an open door policy as well. So it does feel like you are treated more like a person, not a number here.
0: And thank you. Thank you for that, Faye. And it makes me think about um this that big topic of attract, retain, and promote your staff. I mean ultimately, yes, you as a leader, this is a day to day challenge. This is this is what we have to grasp with and it it's um it's it's quite difficult of course to, to manage this. But I don't think we can do that without the support of the of the team of, of the staff. So if you say is wanting to move, clearly you've moved from one team to another, have done different jobs, different roles, that kind of thing. It, and if that is indeed the culture that you are you are you are living in and working in, then obviously you probably will be yourself wanting to do more, maybe become more attractive, more retainable, more promotable, because because you feel that that culture is actually enticing you to be like that. And I just think it's great to it's great to see. Um, but the onus is on both sides as well. So the leaders are, have got this big challenge of retaining you. And then obviously as an employee, it's also your, your responsibility to make sure that you want it and you are not just necessarily waiting for that call, the tap of the shoulder. You're actually really wanting to, Uh, voice the fact that you want to move and you want to be in a different organization in the different department and you are you are really wanting to speak to your to your managers about your requirements and your what you what you wish to do in your career and i think that's that's really that's great what you've just done Faye and what you just said because it kind of gives me an opportunity to ask the audience here whether we we all feel that there is such an open communication within your teams that you can actually Say, hey, I'm up for a new role. Hey, I want to have this new opportunity. What do I do? How do I do it? Hey, boss, what? How, how, can you help me get to this point? Do you? Do we feel that there? That we still have silos and 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 maybe times where we can't. We don't
2: feel that we can say that and actually be in control of our own careers. What do we think?
4: I'll chime in real quick, so I'll be completely open in this group. I told my managers I was looking for a new role probably the start of the, of the summer, and what it takes is a culture of trust, right? You have to trust that there won't be any sort of penalty applied to you towards your performance reviews, towards the type of projects they'll give you, and responsibilities while you're in your search. And I was, it, it immediately became apparent which managers were very supportive of me exploring for a new opportunity versus which ones kind of shied away from it. And at the end of the day, we've actually converted the conversation to, well, you know what, maybe it's not so much a complete shift to AFC or to operations. Maybe it's doing something similar to what you're doing now, but broadening the current role and now in discussions around what that broadened role might look like. So it takes trust. It would, not every manager is willing to do it, but I think if we can create that culture within our own areas where even if your direct manager may not be so receptive, that there's somebody there, whether that's the COO or a peripheral manager that you trust. If we can promote that culture of trust, I think we'll we'll be very happy to find that when they rotate, maybe they're not rotating across the firm. Maybe they're just rotating to like a sister team and, and the ability to just magnify their a contribution to the firm just becomes that much, much more rich. So I think there's work to do. It's culture of trust and and we have to build that and give them the opportunities to, to raise their hand, as you mentioned.
0: Great. Anyone else wants to talk about um, open culture?
3: Gwen, can you hear me?
5: Yes.
3: Yes. Um, So one of the um, things that I think is also missing in a lot of firms is, when somebody does have the desire to move to, a, a let's say, a new role uh, or they're, they're taking on a, a lot of learnings. And I use an example where, you know, I know someone who had um, spent about 30 hours of, of time studying for um, hybrid cloud management. And it was. Uh, <laughs> but the problem was the visibility over. the. St- study of platforms which have been curated just so, just, so,
0: just so you know peter you sorry peter just so you know you might have to start again for a couple of seconds because we've oh. lost you
3: oh can you hear me now, really, now hear you me? you're
0: breaking up i'm afraid oh,
3: okay hold on uh, I'll, yes, I'll come can back can in a really moment
0: okay 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 thank you um <clears throat> right so whilst peter is coming back um I just wanted to ask um, the rest of the panel as well um uh, the question we have on the chat for the group who what are the key retention options that can be used successfully and maybe I'll start with you Piers um you would have seen possibly a few of these before so what have you um what what would you have done in the past to retain your people successfully
7: um i think i think there's a, a a big dependence on whether someone's coming to you with an interest to move versus somebody who actually already has gone out and made the effort to um, secure a job elsewhere and is coming coming in um, and looking at a counter from you. I, I um, from my perspective, you never want to get to the point with um, one of your one of your valued team um, where they've where they've felt that they've had to go out and that's goes back to Maggie's point about having the ability to have a a trusted conversation with your manager about what you're interested in doing I think if you're not able to do that and you 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 have somebody who's already begun an external job search you've potentially already lost um, the battle Uh, or you may have lost the war you may win a battle temporarily but once they've begun that external job search, you, they will, even if you are able to retain them, unless you retain them by giving them up internally to a different role, an entirely different role within the organization. That That's probably the best way to, to retain somebody for the, from the organization because that tends to be why they're, why they're looking externally. The other comment that uh, I think Maggie made was, you know, people leave the manager and, um, it's really important as a manager of managers when you see that happening to one of your managers to start working on that person's, uh, on that individual's managerial skills. Um, so less there's less to do at that very point in time about the individual who's leaving because you may have already lost that battle, but you don't want the next person to leave either. I
1: agree with you, Piers. I think also, you know, if you get are in a situation where it gets to the point that someone's gone externally, and you're you're countering. I, I've had situations, in fact, where I'm bringing people into the organisation and the firm. I'm trying to bring them as accountants, and actually, you know, it's it can be quite hollow at that stage to them if they've been trying internally in their firm to to get the opportunity and to, to and have been asking for for more and haven't got it if it all comes just because you've now got an external offer unless the money really significantly swings things I think often you've lost people already because it's like well why didn't you give this to me before you know it's it's just it doesn't fall well with those that just feel that they they weren't valued and they're only valued at the point of leaving Yeah, from
9: experience, you. once uh, once people have an offer from the outside and they and they announce it, it's almost impossible to uh, to retain them. Once they have a foot outside, it's uh, we we tried a few times. It works sporadically, but most of the time, regardless of what we offer them, uh, it's very difficult to uh, to retain I
7: them. I, that's exactly right. And I've had a few conversations with people, uh, you know, at times that they've they've come to me and said, you know, I'm interested and in, I'm I'm thinking of leaving. Um and then they say that they want to work on something that they've never brought up to me as something that they wanted to do. Right, like, why weren't you willing to have that conversation with me earlier? And it may well be well, you didn't invest the time in trying to figure out and I keep I go back to them and say, look, this is a two way street. Right? I can I can ask you certain things, but you also need to um, I can't spend my entire day asking my staff on w- what exactly they want in terms of their next move, but certainly in our um, biennial discussions or quarterly reviews that we have, these are the types of things that need to come up. And if something's more than a peripheral interest to you, make sure that you you tell your manager that this is, this is something I'm working on developing internally um, for myself, but it may become an area of interest uh, to me down the road. And i think those are those are the types of questions that you know i learned over time as a manager to to begin to ask a little bit more aggressively
0: and i don't know peter if you can hear us but i will i will voice your your um your comment on the chat it is important to have visibility over who is learning what and to link those learnings and aspirations not only the manager, but also the talent acquisition team, so they have better oversight for internal searches. So thanks for that. I think back to my point around communication and really asking the right questions as a leader and also for the employees to be willing to speak up, hence the culture, I believe. Can you hear me? Can you hear us again, uh, Peter? I, I can. Can you oh, hear okay. me? Yes, yes, that's yes. great.
3: Just I've turned my you... video off just to have better um, bandwidth.
0: Maybe that's what it is. Um I just wanted to talk to you now about um what you you have done as um a talent transformation specialist at IBM and uh, the successes that you've had in having a a very high retention rate um and what you can you can possibly share with us where the successes were
3: Sure um well, I, so IBM has been on their, uh, I guess you call it the workforce transformation journey for, I would say, about seven years or so. And there's really one word that permeates the entire sort of, uh, I guess, underpins the whole journey – and that word is skills. And this is many years ago that we started this. So before this whole the skill shortage and, you know, all the buzzwords that we're talking about now, but we've often talked about skills being the golden thread that run through every aspect of your organization. So it's your entire employee life cycle, but it's every everything that makes someone successful within the firm is about the skills they have, the upskilling, the reskilling, the mobility of those skills. And one of the things that IBM has been, I guess, a probably an earlier pioneer on was that move from a traditional role-based framework to a skills-based framework in terms of how we find people for roles. Because you, you all know when, when you see a job description, you know, the first like two or three bullets will have the technical bit of what you need to know. And then the other 25 bullets are there around collaboration and creativity and stakeholder management and leadership and all of that other stuff. So a lot of those skills are common across the organization. So how do we then look for those good fits internally and then coach, mentor, guide, people for those opportunities to be successful in their next role. So, you know, one of the things to me in terms of challenging people and encouraging them to take on additional responsibility and the the fostering of what we call the, the growth mindsets and the development of the continuous learning culture, which everybody aspires to, but the question is really how to achieve this. Everybody wants the same thing, but it's the how. And it really takes a full ecosystem um, to deliver this, as well as new ways of leadership, new ways of thinking, new ways of acting. And one of the things I think if I could leave you with like three words, which are really important for the IBM journey, these are sort of our guiding principles. Number one is transparency. Now, again, remember, we're talking about skills. So skills, capabilities, proficiency levels, transparency. So transparency over every role that exists within the organization. What are the skills that are required to be in any of those roles? What are the skills that I have today? And where is that gap? And then how do you create the learning pathways to get me from where I am today to where I want to be in the future? So that transparency is, I think, the, the first crucial piece and the mere image of that which is the comment that you read out uh, related to that gwen visibility so if i have my learning pathways and i'm spending 30 40 50 hours you know, studying data science or hybrid cloud or whatever it may be who knows that your people are studying that who you know what is the opportunity that comes out of that if i'm spending 50 hours learning something but nobody knows it neither my manager nor the talent acquisition team, you know, nor the you know, other people within the firm who may need these sort of skills, then we're we're missing a trick there. So transparency and visibility, and then the third word, personalization. So really almost hyper personalization. We have a policy at IBM allowing anyone to learn anything anytime. So it's we don't we don't even know what skills are going to be required in three or five years. But what we do is we have a framework that we've created so that people can choose and learn on company time to really ensure that um, they're following their passions and they're, you know, they, they feel like they're moving in the right direction as determined by them, not as determined by a manager. And so I think the you know, a couple of the things that we've achieved is um, in the last sort of Seven years or so. Um, we were about 23 hours per person of learning
5: in 2015.
3: And last year, we clocked over 70 hours of learning per person on average. Obviously, this is we're a big company. Um, really interesting, I think. So we have, if you look at the revenue from 2011 and you look at the revenue from 2021. Nearly 70% of the revenue, and thus the skills required to deliver on it, did not exist 10 years ago in the firm. So when you think about things like the way we've now promoted concepts around data and analytics, hybrid cloud, quantum, edge, all of these things did not exist just 10 years ago, certainly not in a mainstream revenue capacity, and yet we have a tremendous retention rate within IBM. So it actually goes to show we're not just out there buying more resources. We're actually building the resources that we have. And there's always a buy versus build equation. Some you have to buy, but there's a build aspect that I think is really important. So when we we talk about, you know, people are our greatest assets, it's really important that we're able to point exactly to how we are enabling them to increase their own personal value and their own brand. It takes two. You know, you can put the best platforms in the world in, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, people are going to come to it. It's not the build it and they will come philosophy. So to your point, Gwen, about, you know, communication and making sure that we are engaging and inspiring our people to learn what they want, when they want, um, to add value to the organization, but also to add value to themselves personally. I think that's part of the real secret success in terms of how IBM has continued to reinvent its own workforce. And by no means is it perfect, but I just think there's a lot of great lessons to learn um, from what we've done over the last seven years. And as you know, Gwen, I'm always open to talk about these ideas and these concepts with anyone who's struggling with them internally because this is one of those things you shouldn't struggle by yourself. Let's let see yeah, it like we're doing here, share ideas um, and, and talk about what could work based on the problems that you're actually trying to solve, not just try to replicate well, what I, everybody I else has. I've got a
1: question if you don't mind. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you enable people to find the time to do that training? And then secondly, what, what form does that training take? So two mm-hmm. of the big challenges in my mind, one, is everyone's so busy, you know, nice idea to go and get trained on something new, but where do you find the time? And secondly, if you're just faced with a big online learning course, and you know, we have many mandatory online learning as it is, is it not just an overhead to go and find another online learning course? So how do you make that, that learning and training engaging?
3: Yes. Okay. So on the first Uh, Point, Absolutely. You know, we we are all extremely busy and there will be some of those, um, there'll be an, I call it an older, old-fashioned mindset of, well, if they're, if they've got that much time to do that training, then they're obviously not busy enough in their day job. However, what I have found, this is me personally within my own teams, but then also across the firm. We obviously are, um, we're judged slightly differently than you would be, say, in a bank, because we're, we're charged on utilization and charging out to clients. So for every day that, you know, that you're not charging to a client, there's, you, know, you, you we're losing revenue. So the idea that how could somebody maintain, you know, over 80% utilization and still clock their 40 or 50 or 60 hours of training. Now. We encourage everyone to, we have a policy called Think 40. So that means everyone in the firm must complete a minimum of 40 hours of clocked learning time on company time. So on the timesheets that we complete. But what's really interesting, my performers that are sort of 90, 95% billable, like the real stars at sort of that junior and middle level, are the ones who are getting their their silver and their gold and their platinum badges of I've got eighty hours, I've got one hundred and twenty hours. Now, it can't necessarily all be done in you know in a nine to five job, but part of the secret to the success is making learning irresistible. And this is to your second point. So, like you know, if you log on to Netflix or amazon prime or whatever you whatever streaming channels you've ever looked at you get the spotlights that come across you get um different ideas that are promoted to you because they're like well either you know you may be in this job or you've expressed this interest or because you learned or watched something else here's something for you and it's a combination of many different types of learning so you have the the standard online courses there's uh White Papers is one of the TED Talks, there's YouTube videos. There's um, also, of course, some on-site learning, but we have very, very little on-site learning now in IBM or sort of classroom. Um, So we really try to make it um, as sort of creative and clever as possible. And we complement it with our internal talent marketplace so as we all, you know, certainly people from HR will know, you've got the 70-20-10 rule. So the 10% is the book smart, so the what you learned online. Then you've got the exposure bit, which is the 20, and then you've got the experience bit. So within our online uh, talent marketplace, we actually have opportunities for people to find – I hate to use the word coach, but it's more of a um, get the inside scoop, you want to talk to somebody who's in finance or operations or whatever, people will go in and volunteer their time as coaches. And then you can go in and find somebody who's in an area that you may have an interest in and you may be doing some learning on right now. So it gives you that chance to get a little bit of exposure just to find out if you like it or not. And then I think, You maybe were mentioning it, uh, Catherine, I'm not sure who it was, but about these sort of short-term assignments, like kind of try before you buy. People can advertise on there for little gig assignments to say, need somebody for five hours who knows X, Y, Z. And it gives people the opportunity to then go and get some experience in it, even if it's only some hours, but just to get a little bit more insight into what does it take to do this job? And would it be something that I'd really like to pursue? And that in itself, we all know when we're inspired by something, we will we'll go above and beyond. We'll do more. We, we, we want to be more. We want to learn more. So the whole idea around the learnings is I'm not telling anyone what they need to learn. This is all self-selected. It's that personalization concept. But when they get to do it and then they get recognized with mobility opportunities, with people who say, would you like to help us out on this? They're getting more exposure and recognition. it it kind of becomes this virtuous circle.
10: Can I ask a question about that? Because like case studies, we have done them before. But what I find, I think anyone can Google anything. Um, It doesn't mean that someone's a true SME on something because I've actually thought that someone was really good on a case study in a previous job. And Mm -hmm. when I got them in, it realized that, Obviously, because I wasn't a true SME, can't beat it on everything. But I think they must have just Googled it because they didn't have a clue when they actually um, hit the floor. So I think sometimes I, I don't understand why people do case studies because I think I worked in compliance for two years. And I know that my best friend was Google. So, <laughs>
3: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Was there a question in that? Because I, I, no, I
10: just I wondered wonder. what, what oh, oh. people actually get from that. Do, do you actually find people – is it a worthy exercise? Have people found it a worthy exercise? Because obviously oh, I oh, tried I it and didn't find those case studies a uh, uh, worthy part of my time as a manager, personally.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, so if, um, so if I, for example, were interested in um, learning more about HR, um, yet I'm sitting in operations – I can go in and I talk about the skills that I'm uh, looking to develop or, or the skills that I'm learning at the moment or the skills that I already have. So you've got the, you know, the, the have the learning and the aspirational and there will be, we on our talent marketplace, we have an automatic match. If there's an HR business partner that said, I want somebody who understands design thinking who maybe has a bit of, you know, financial knowledge. Cause I need to do a business plan or whatever, maybe some, um, you know, some clever software so they can make the presentations whiz bang. But as the person then goes in and volunteers their five hours or their 10 hours or whatever over a month, and again, this is something that people are usually going to do because they're so inspired to learn more. It's not that they're sitting around with, you know, 10 extra hours in a month with nothing to do. They're going to go above and beyond to do this. And when, those, when the person who has the skills and the person who needs the skills match, then there is this opportunity for that person to explore, as well as the manager to kind of potentially try before you buy, if that person you know, is interested in, say, moving into HR in the future. So it's you know, it's not a perfect science, but we do have uh, a tremendous amount of mobility within the organization, and all of us, every every single IBMer, gets an email every two weeks with all of the jobs that are relevant to your potential search. So through that, I will have put in, it will have access to my skills from say Workday. It'll know the job I have. My learning, the the current learning I'm doing is linked into it. Any digital badges that I've made uh, are in there. It could be location, could be function, whatever. And then you get to thumb up and thumb down every job recommendation that comes to you every two weeks so it keeps that mobility in the front and center of everyone's mind and as you start to see those roles you're like ah i think i might be interested in this let's go add this to my learning path in the in the sort of learning experience platform that we have
5: Two things, if I may. So <clears throat> separating the two, right? One from innovation from from learning outside of, you know, mandatory compliance learning, if you will. Um, so what we found uh, the past few years is, you know, folks are, of course, doing their, their mandatory trainings that they have to do, right? But it's all the other trainings um, that, you know, we want folks to be more um in tune with right uh, things that interest them that pique their interest coding um what whatever the case may be right uh e s g doesn't matter um so what we've done in in some parts of the organizations um uh, more so on the on the um the front line you know either our bankers or our traders is designated uh certain days of the week um a couple hours within those days uh to say you know between this time, you know, you are expected to uh, do some additional training, right? Um, and one, it gives them the opportunity to say, you know what, I, I I need to put business aside for now and focus on the the training that I've been wanting to do. But by the way, I have no time to do it because life takes over, right? Uh, so that's one 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 aspect. And then the second aspect, as we talk about innovation, you know, what, what we do as a firm is we have 15 days out of the year and more if we need to, uh, where we designate as innovation days, so these could be, uh, you know, micro projects um, or macro projects, if you will, that are outside of our day jobs, right? They could be related to, you know, what we're doing, uh, you know, within the banking industry, within SOCGEN Gen, or not, right? It could be something totally different, right? So it's almost as if a, it's a think tank um, to bring people together to do something that interests you, right? That is outside of your your actual day-to-day jobs, um, and you know, we we do we do very much to encourage. Folks to take those innovation days, and we even have <clears throat> a yearly context globally. Um, you know, to to actually fund some of these projects that are again outside of you know banking and finance worlds at, at times. Um, that are uh, you know startup firms, if you will, right? Um, and you know this is our way, and I found this to be quite helpful, not just in in in, in retaining folks and getting them the giving them the ability to do something else, but also um, in terms of recruiting, right? Especially junior talent to say, you know, we, we do care about you as a person, and we do want you to do different things. And this is how the company is, is also, um, uh, you know, viewing that as well, right, where you can do something completely different, uh, if it does interest you, right, you don't have to go outside the firm, we will give you the capital, we will give you the time and the space, and the tools to be able to do something else as well. So I think that that's probably not totally too dissimilar to, to what, you know, Pete was talking about before at IBM, but um, there is definitely some synergies there, which I found interesting.
0: Thank you for sharing. So as we are drawing towards the end of the session, um, thank you, Lamia, who is now gone and just said in the chat, thanks for the inspiring thoughts. Well, it's exactly it, it's inspiring thoughts. And um, not everything is applicable in everyone's organization, but at least if you come away thinking, yeah, actually, I'd, I'd like to try that. Or I'd like to put myself myself forward if you are an, um, a, a talent or as a leader, maybe, maybe think outside the box, be more creative, like Andres was saying, Throughout. Um, clearly engaging with our people uh, all the time and uh, maybe scratching for things that maybe don't come naturally might be actually quite a surprising thing to do. Um, adapting what we do and how we do it is obviously going to be um, one of the things we've got to do to attract and retain our people. And as we've discussed, it's not just about pay, it's not just about comp, it's also about how you engage your people and give them tools to excel and help them find their purpose and find their to find their purpose and find purpose at work. Um, final thoughts, maybe from one of, well, maybe some, all of you in the panel,
10: would you like to say something?
3: Should I, I'll just start there, Gwen, just to give a final thought. I think all of our organisations have lots of the components that are necessary to be successful No, I think, you know, all organizations you've got, I'm sure you have some pretty rich content that's available to your people. You've got probably some sort of role framework or job architecture. Um, Many people are now creating talent marketplaces, might have digital badges or accreditation, whatever. Um, So it's great that a lot of the foundation is there. To me, the real sort of secret sauce, what what we're missing. It's that how that all comes together as an ecosystem and all of those individual parts are so much greater when you sum it all up and you coordinate them appropriately. And then you wrap that um, mindset around it and the new ways of leadership. Because again, you know, back to, I think we, it was mentioned before about there's no point in having all of this wonderful stuff if a manager is going to treat you poorly when you say, oh, I'm actually going to go and move over to another team. So you've got leadership, you've got mindsets and behaviors, and then you've got the weaving together of this whole ecosystem. So as I say, you can not I can't talk enough about this stuff. So if anybody is keen to hear more about how we've done it in the past, I'm, I'm very open to that.
2: And
0: they have your article to read as well. So it's now on this last slide with a QR code to get straight to it.
4: So thank you, Peter.
2: Um, uh, Maggie, final thoughts?
4: Peter's really nailed down the head, right? I I do feel sometimes we're on the precipice of of really achieving it because the components are there. And this one's in grasp at the moment. And then it kind of shifts the focus there. So the key is getting that focused, concerted effort by the full spectrum of, of required partners to put a really holistic and sustainable program together. I, many of us we start off really really strong, and then whether we lose resources or we lose focus, or there's a fire drill, or this leadership chair has changed, you know, we derail. So it's really about building something that's broader than any individual COO or or uh, division, and it's making sure that what you're trying to create, you're pulling in partners whether it's across different divisions, different teams, even regionally. One of my things I always try to focus on is calling up the other regions and finding out what are they doing because that's that's really the only way this works is if it's sustainable, if it's scalable, and it's not dependent on anyone who is so passionate they're the only driver, right? We have to infect others with that passion to move this whole concept forward. So big lift. Thank you, indeed.
2: Catherine, last thoughts? No, we don't have you. We don't have you, Catherine. You're muted.
1: Sorry, I put myself on mute. Um, uh, Thank you for arranging the session. As I said at the outset, it, it takes time and effort, a constant focus to attract and retain your teams. And just having a session like this enables us all to stop and reflect and think again and maybe come away with, an extra focus on how we continually maintain that focus and improve that focus.
5: Indeed,
0: thank you. And finally, Andres,
1: final thoughts from
0: you?
5: Yeah, thank you, <clears throat> thank you. So, so I, uh, to, to that point, right, I, I have a few different ideas that that you know came through this session. So, um, you know, I, I love the uh, the two-way communication because I learned some things too. Um, you know and, and for you all right for uh, if you can take anything away from me specifically, right, I would say to continue empowering your team right um, listen to your employees um, you know i can't stress enough how it is important to uh, you know be the champions of communication right uh, with your uh, employees and and even uh, even your superiors. Um when it comes to organizations and people, um, there's no one size fits all. Uh there are many similarities um, you know, in every organization, you know, in different regions um um and people. Um, but you know, everyone is different, right? So I think um taking that microcosm look is 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 utterly important.
0: Thank you for that. And Piers, perhaps you might want to say final thoughts before we close.
7: Yeah, I just wanted to um again th- thank you for Organizing the session, I think um, the panelists hit on a lot of, um, in, in many cases, parallel um, themes that we need to pull together to develop that holistic um, effort to retain retain talent. I thought, uh, as as Maggie said and Catherine said, we have to find time, um, time and sort of redouble our efforts to uh, to re- to retaining that talent, especially in this type of environment where it's it's just so difficult to. Uh, the war for talent is so strong and um, we know that we've got it within the organization. So retaining it needs to be our first focus. Mm-hmm.
0: It's been my pleasure to have you all on board today. Thank you very much. And hopefully we'll see you soon. 14th of November, 1st of December, whenever you're
2: free, we'll see you soon. Take care.
0: Thank now. you.
6: Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.